Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Okay, so we are joined here today by a great guest. We have Carolina Milanesi. Carolina, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. Uh, it's such a pleasure. I've, I've been following you on Twitter and all the work that you do, um, especially around voice and the impact of voice on technology and, and um, a very big fan. So thank you for having me. Uh, I'm an industry analyst, first and foremost. I've been uh, covering tech for longer than uh, I admit because you just called me as we were getting ready seasoned, which is, uh, um, you know, is another way of saying I'm old. No. Um, <laughs> Um, but uh, um, I, I have been covering tech for, for a while. I was at Gardner um, for a, about 14 years, and then I went off to uh, lead the U.S. chapter of uh, Kantar uh, Comtech, which is a primary research company similar to, to Nielsen. And then I landed at Creative Strategies about five years, actually five years and a month ago, um, and uh, I, I now am, uh, um, you know, working with uh, Ben Baharin and, and really looking at the impact of consumer technology on enterprise and then uh, consumer experience for product services and, uh, and software. Um, I also, in 2019, created my own company called The Heart of Tech, um, coming out of the need of wanting to help uh, technologies really becoming more inclusive and focusing on their corporate social responsibility effort, um, not in a um, you know in a um, performative way, but but really thinking about the impact, both on society but also on their bottom line, you know, the business bottom line of being more inclusive, being more diverse, and really focusing on their talent um, and and tech for good. You know, technology can make a great deal of, of impact on society, both good and bad, and it requires uh, intentionality uh, when you're bringing services and technology to market. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, and it's such an honor to have you here today. Um, I saw, too, that you were recently promoted at Creative Strategies to president, so congrats on that. That's really, really exciting. Thank you. Um, so before we really get into the basis of this conversation, I do want to actually stick on um, Heart of Tech a little bit because I think this is really fascinating. So you started this in 2019, um, and you mentioned before we started recording that you do a number of, uh, you write a number of like Forbes articles and it pertains to this. So how has this been going? Um, you know, what, what are some of the kind of takeaways from, I guess you're now in year two of it. Um, what's the experience been like so far with this, uh, this endeavor? It's been really good. Um, you know, some of the clients are the same clients that I, I deal with at Creative Strategies. Um, I try and do uh, some uh, pro bono work as well for smaller organizations that really are trying to make a difference, um, especially when it comes to diversity um, and inclusion and education. Um, so speaking engagement and things like that. Uh, but for me, the biggest difference that I've seen because of the pandemic is really been a shift uh, in uh, it, from that performative um, that I was talking about just a minute ago, where you know people thought that they needed to have 
something about CSR uh, and, and checkbox to actually being uh, wanting to make a difference, right? And so the conversations have changed a lot about, you know, help us do this versus help us tell the story right. or talk about it. Um, and uh, and that's been phenomenal. And also, I think that the what I find fascinating is that there's a big inter kind of interconnection between employee engagement and satisfaction and discussions around the future of work and, and hybrid work and corporate social responsibility in, in a way of really putting people first, in a way of thinking about the impact that remote work could have on diversity and inclusion. Um, and also thinking about policy and the impact that you can have, especially big tech. Um, and of course, you know, if you follow tech, um, the, the large organizations are not <laughs> seen very positively uh, right. right now, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> and so I think that there's a, there's a moment of, of wanting, yes, on one side, get, you know, the politicians off their back, but also regaining the trust of consumers and, and, and people overall. And so is, you know, is a good time to focus on, on that impact that you can have on society. Yeah, I love how you said too there about how it's like, you know, moving away from it just being performative and and actually becoming something that's a lot more meaningful. So as somebody that's not based in Silicon Valley, I, I don't I don't have the real world experience that you do, but to hear that, you know, somebody like you is really championing um all of those efforts, uh, I just think is so cool. And and it it definitely does speak to, I think, the hope that um we'll move into a phase where this will become thing, uh, the type of thing that is, is actually something that at large, these major massive companies are like implementing. Um, So that's really, really exciting to hear. Um, So, you know, the reason that I wanted to have you on today was because, uh, you know, we just saw at Google's IO conference, um, some pretty interesting news around wearables and, you know, because wearables are a big theme of, of future ear and of this podcast, uh, you know, hearables being a small subset of the wearables mm-hmm. ecosystem. Um, you wrote an awesome piece for creative strategies. And after reading it, I was like, I need to get you on because uh, I thought you just had a lot of really good insights. So I guess my first question is, you know, with, um, this announcement of Google and Samsung sort of banding together and almost mm-hmm. creating an alliance where, uh, you know, Samsung had their wearable smartwatch platform, Tizen, and then Google had Wear OS, and now they're going to be merging the two into uh, what they were referring to as Wear. So I guess my first question to you is, I guess, are we finally seeing a, a really true Apple Watch competitor sort of starting to emerge? I sure hope so, because I really think that the Android ecosystem is is craving um, something similar to the Apple Watch plus iPhone solution, right? And I don't, you know, I, I don't want to be particularly negative on Samsung, because I think that from a hardware perspective, they've come a very long way from where they started, and, and especially the latest iterations of the Galaxy Watch, um, you know, have been the closest thing for me to a, an Apple Watch experience. What was letting down the the full experience, though, were little moments of friction between what was clear, um, you know, a, a need or a want for Samsung to, to create their own ecosystem 
and then Google. And so, you know, when I use um, uh, Android and, you know, I, I always uh, make it very clear, my, my main device uh, is an iPhone and it has been since 2007. But because of my job, obviously I used all different kinds of devices. Um, and um, it's been over the past, I would say, year and a half to two years that moving across iPhone and Android has become way easier uh, for me than it used to be. And because of how much I use Google services, there's also desire to actually use Google more. And the Apple Watch has always been one of the reasons why I couldn't see myself moving away from the iPhone. Um, now there are other things like, you know, Apple Card, but which, you know, is quite pertinent to the conversation that I was listening to Tim Cook on uh, on the stand <laughs> this morning. And, you know, like, do you make it hard for consumers to move away? Well, no, not intentionally, but yes, by delivering products that, you know, tie you in. Right. Um, and I think that that's what's missing on the Android side, right? The, the idea of having that phone and, and watch. And, uh, you know, for Samsung, it worked to some extent, but then that friction of not having some uh, services, something as simple as, you know, Google Assistant was not the default for quite some time um, as, as your voice assistant, right? Um, things like that, that you can see that the friction creeping up and, and not giving the user the best that they could get or little things like the lack of integration of maps. Um, you know, one of the things that I find extremely delightful when I drive because I am Italian uh, driving in California, I still <laughs> drive like an Italian. Uh, so my, my turns and all these things are, you know, maybe not as fluid as, <laughs> <laughs> as Californians have them. You know, having that little tap on my wrist that yeah, exactly, exactly tells me or changing lane, you know, something as, as easy as, as, as that. Um, and that you don't have those moments of, of delight on, um, you know, on the other side because there's not that vertical integration. And that's what I'm looking for. Um, you know, the, the, the integration of the services, um, better apps, more apps, um, you know, obviously with, uh, with Tizen Plus, uh, Wear OS and some Fitbit sprinkle on top because there's that component too. I think you're going to end up with a much more um, enticing experience. Yeah, I completely agree. And you said a few things there that were really interesting. I love, first of all, that you mentioned the kind of the lock-in that the Apple Watch creates. I've been wearing an Apple Watch, I think, since the first or the second generation. So it's been, you know, four or five years now. And there is definitely something to that because, you know, it's one of the first things I do in the morning is I put on my watch and uh, I really do love all of the ways in which my watch sort of complements my phone. And to your point, I, I think that is something that Google didn't sort of recognize early on. I, I don't think they recognize that um, it's, you know, if I did decide to switch over to Android, that would also imply that I'd have to switch over my watch too. And so it, it does create a further lock in there and AirPods, I think has made that even more pronounced. So I think that the, the Apple wearables and now the service offering that kind of is layered in between the smartphone and the wearables is very much making it very difficult, I think, for Google to entice people away from it. Whereas with on the, you know, on the introverted side with, um, 
Apple trying to poach Google away, it's not as challenging because you're just really trying to, to pull people away from, say, just uh, their Android smartphones. So I think there's a lot to be said there. And something that I saw recently was I was looking through, you know, some of the statistics of, um, you know, adoption. And what I saw, I looked at a couple different um consumer or research companies. And I'd be curious if this is consistent with what you all at Creative Strategies have found, but it looks like Apple Watch is now north of 100 million people wearing the device. And it's about 30 million that are being added per year. So this is a really, really large user base of users. And again, if you think about it as part of that lock-in, it seems to be this really this gigantic moat that Apple has created. And I think that in order for Google to really um, be compelling from an ecosystem standpoint, they need to have uh, a compelling smartwatch as well. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that the, you know, they were, they started early in the market, but quite confused. And to be honest with you, even Apple was confused at the beginning, right? They had a, a, yeah. a very different idea of what uh, Apple Watch was going to do and what it's become now, right? For for Apple, it was more of a luxury, you know, jewelry piece. For Google was, well, we're going to give you a phone on the wrist, you know? So the, the first attempt was really replicating um, the phone. And, and that wasn't it, right? I don't want the same things that I do on my phone to get on my wrist as, as the same as I don't want to do on my PC everything I do on my phone. And I think that... It's taken a while for the industry to realize that. And, and I think part of that was just the, uh, the oh my God, we're going to sell as many watches as we sell phones, right? It was That was the very right. narrow-minded way to look at the market and say, well, everybody has a, has a phone, we'll have a watch. Um, and that's not true. Um, you know, the market is not going to be as big, but I think it is valuable and, and it does capture... Um, it does capture the most uh, kind of engaged users um, on, on one end. And on the other, I, I you know, see a lot of similarities to uh, the relationship with the iPad versus the PC. You know, those uh, cases where you want a kind of a low tech but useful device. And I think that's the other part that to me has changed a lot when it comes to wearable being smartwatches trackers or earables is the fact that these are now truly platforms. They're not accessory anymore. Yeah, I love that. Um, the the whole notion of a platform. And I think that, you know, as somebody that's been like really following this closely, I, the two of us have been, is that you've seen, it's just like you said, when Apple introduced the Apple Watch, it was a totally different um, mentality that they had as to where this fits into the market. It was like positioned as a luxury item. And, and so I think that this idea of, you know, these devices becoming platforms, there was a, a maturation period that needed to occur for use cases that were specific to these devices. And I think like the fitness and the, the health applications are a perfect example for the, the, the wrist worn wearables because initially it was sort of these um, 
rudimentary fitness, like you could gather step tracking and stuff like that. But as time has gone on, we're seeing that these now are use cases that are really specific to that type of modality that you can't capture from, say, the phone. And, and now I think we're going to see that with the earworn devices as well. I mean, starting with it just being a conduit to um, the audio internet and that that burgeoning world, but in addition to that, being a home for your voice assistant. Um, so I, I do think that there's a lot to be said about this where, yes, they sort of initially are um, positioned. And I think the value proposition for the user is around it being sort of a complementary device to your smartphone is the smartphone is almost like the mothership. Mm-hmm. But there's now a lot of really interesting things that are starting to emerge around very specific use cases that the phone can't support on its own. And so this is where I think that the ecosystem play really comes into effect because, you know, one of the themes that I've talked a lot about on this podcast that I think Google now kind of has the pieces to do as well is around, you know, with the health tracking is, you know, with, with Apple, you have Apple health as being the big kind of data repository where all that data is captured. And so, you know, now you see the pieces falling into place for Google to have the same thing where first they buy Fitbit and then now they kind of unify these platforms together so that the Android smartphone or smartwatch ecosystem starts to kind of permeate and you have that same element where Google Health can capture and serve as the repository of all this information that's being captured. So the specific use cases for the watch, I think Google now is realizing they need to facilitate an ecosystem similar to Apple so that they can position themselves in such a way where a lot of this is, I think, becoming more and more compelling to people as they realize that the the benefit of having something like a smartwatch and wearing one for an extended period of time is you really start to build like a longitudinal data health set. And there's a lot of really interesting information that kind of can be gleaned off the top of that. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that the even the idea, you know, we talk about apps because we always talk about apps and and uh, compare, you know, the, the right. size of, of app stores and all of that. But I, I do think that even just the ideas change over time. It's not the, the quantities, the quality, and there are a few things that tie people in. And so, you know, I don't expect, uh, even from a, from a, you know, some of the things that Google has said, um, will come out of this uh, merger. One is, you know, application will load 30 percent faster. Um, they want to have better UI, which is all helpful, but it's really about core components that are, you know, sensor gathering um, data um, for your health and fitness, and then your uh, key uh, services that you're using. And I think that that's what is going to, at the end of the day, appeal to the broad majority of people and then you're going to have other things that maybe are, are a little bit more niche of you know some application that people use but there's no question in my mind that wearables have become you know apple watch specifically and now the opportunity on the uh on the other side um because i think fitbit tried and they obviously have a very loyal core base that mm-hmm. watch, that, that subscribe to their services and get a lot of information but you know, they probably can benefit from that extra strength that comes from being part of Google um, to do the kind of things that Apple has been doing with, you know, relationship with uh, key um, device providers for gyms, you know, equipment providers that now tie into your Apple Watch uh, with big brands 
uh, like Peloton and so forth to, you know, to have a, a better experience. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if we if we see Google moving to, you know, uh, an Apple Fitness Plus kind of services or not. Um, you know, I, I think that they could easily partner with, you know, more um, brands out there. They don't necessarily have to have their own service. Um, but is there's definitely a benefit to Google services too, uh, if you're thinking that already they talked about, you know, YouTube music music integration and mm -hmm. how you can play music, you know, from, from offloading it onto the watch so you don't have to have a phone or or the ability to use uh, Google Maps without a phone. So there's clearly, you know, increased stickiness to the ecosystem that having a, a strong watch platform will bring to Google. There's no question. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that, um, you know, with you look at kind of those three entities, Samsung, Google and Fitbit. So Google is, you know, it's sort of the yin to the Apple yang. So you have the Android and you have the iOS duopoly. And so then you have, you know, what does Samsung bring to the table? They pr provide the hardware. And then you have Fitbit as one of the really compelling use cases that can be layered into this. And so it seems to me that this really is sort of an alliance of how do we combat Apple's dominance in this space? And, and I think that it's sort of a um, kind of a, a oh shoot moment where they're recognizing that as Apple further cements their lock-in in the ecosystem of the peripheral devices, it just makes that just a more defensible position with the core being, you know, the handset. And I think as the wearables narrative continues to evolve and we eventually get into AR and, and maybe, you know, something like glasses or something like that, um, the, the question is going to, I think, be like, are there are there comp, uh, comparable offerings in a comparable ecosystem? And I think that Google is playing a little bit of catch up now, but I think that by utilizing these partners and working as a, an alliance of, sor of sorts, um, it seems to me like they can catch up somewhat quickly. And I love what you mentioned too, of you know one of the big advantages that Google has are their first party services. Google Maps is a perfect example of this. The ability to, you know, um, again, let's say that you're, you're working out or something like that. If you can start to have offline mode for Spotify, YouTube music, in addition to Google Maps, you're, you're, you know, who are you really catering to there? Maybe it's the person that's going out on a run in right. a new city or something like that. So that's where this starts to, I think it really exciting is that you, um, you know, as a, as a big Android fan, for example, you would be able then to kind of get the best of the Android world without having to sort of sacrifice anything that Apple per se would have. And, and I think yeah. that's going to be the goal here for, for Android is to, to reach parity with Apple on the wearables front, just so that their ecosystem is just as compelling, if not eventually potentially more when you layer in some things like Google Assistant and Maps and um, a lot of the advantages that I think Google kind of has inherently right now. Yeah, and I think for Samsung, you know, the ability to, as I mentioned earlier, you know, their hardware is is great, um, and they continue, you know, they have some differences. Um, the the rotating bezel, for instance, that is their kind of signature instead of using the crown like Apple does. Um, you know, they have come up with some interesting design choices. Um, the quality obviously is Samsung, so it's good quality. We we know that, um, but that. Um, 
you know, not having to worry about creating and and nurturing a developer community uh, and uh, continue. Obviously, Tizen is still in their TVs, but you know what you develop for a TV is different than what you develop for for a watch. So, you know, overall, I think is this is a good move for for them. I think that uh, in general, uh, Samsung is is pointing to a tighter integration with Google services. Um, it seems that. The change, um, you know, at, at the top level from from DJ Co to uh, TM Row has, has brought a different focus uh, or maybe a refocus on hardware versus software and services, which was more of um, DJ's kind of core competence. Um, and this is not necessarily a bad thing. It's not that you know Samsung will not be able to uh, continue to differentiate. They they can do that on top, right? But they can layer something that when you have a Samsung phone and a Samsung watch, there are going to be different things that can happen um, that add extra value. So there's still room there um, for differentiation. It'll be interesting to see, you know, when an if a pixel uh, watch comes out, the rumor seems to be still strong. It'd be interesting to see if it's going to be a high-end device or, or a mid-range device, whether there's some kind of agreement um, between you know, Samsung and, and uh, Google as to which market goes where and, and where everybody focuses so that you know, the ecosystem wins. And, and um, you know, clearly, Samsung has brought quite a bit to the table uh, with their installed base of users. So surely there is a you know, quid pro quo happening there in some kind of way. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, because in your in your piece that you wrote, um, you know, on the heels of this announcement, uh, you, you made a really interesting comment about Samsung in leadership. Um, and you just alluded to it there, but I would love to expand on this a little bit more about, you know, so you had DJ Co there and now you have TM Row. Um, can you just expand on this a little bit uh, about the, the, the key differences that you see? Yeah, DJ Co had um, you know had been leading a Samsung that partnership and ecosystem um, and and software play before um, he became the um, you know the the, the lead for um, Samsung Mobile across the board and then electronics and and um, he knew you know he knows software he knows partnership he knows. Uh, the importance of being able to differentiate with services on top of hardware, and and I think when when he was when he started, there was still an opportunity for Samsung to play a role there, and and then the market went a different way. And I think, you know, TM Row is um, I would equate him almost to Tim Cook, like he's a supply chain guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's you know is is very close to to the hardware and the operational side of of the business and and i think that that's what he thinks that they need to focus on and where they they differentiate we see them for instance um you know under his leadership just this month uh start showing a, a much bigger interest in the pc market um and becoming more aggressive there and so it's clearly looking at you know opportunities to add more devices and you know and playing a similar game that, that Apple has for a long time which is you know give more devices to the same users so that they become more engaged more loyal and get more out of the ecosystem I, I think you know the the services play um, is hard to to win in as many market as 
you know, as uh, Samsung is in, you know, they, they obviously own uh, Korea and they can do different things in Korea the same way as Apple owns the US and they can do different things in the US when it comes to services, right? But, but going out and, and launching, you know, a music service or, or whatever you, you want from a content perspective becomes much harder when you have to do deals country by country. Do you get the sense that under TM Row and like you said, more of a supply chain oriented mindset, um, you know, and, and kind of looking at, yes, Google just seems to always be sort of um, stop, go, stop, go with their hardware efforts. Um, and I always sort of wonder, you know, it seems like the marriage there is more Samsung, the hardware provider that's where their core competence really is. And, and Google's is with their, with search obviously as being the big one, but in all their sort of first party services. Um, and, and I really do think that Google assistant will be the brain. It will be kind of the successor of Android in many ways. It will be the, the operating system. And so it seems like these two would work really well. And I am curious, cause you had mentioned, you know, will we see a pixel watch? And I do think that's very possible because clearly that seems to be, you know, in the direction that, that Google's going, which is they're, they are interested in making their own hardware, but I always kind of come back to this and, and I wonder, do you, in your opinion, you know, would it, would it make more sense uh, or would you expect us to see Apple, or I'm sorry, Google continuing down their own hardware path, or do you think that we're ultimately headed to a reversion again back to where Android sort of is the software and the service provider and Samsung's the hardware provider, by and large? Yeah, I don't think they're quite in a position to put all their eggs in a basket with Samsung. I don't think that Mm -hmm. would be wise. And so I do continue to think that um, simply because you know, initially with the Nexus project, um, it, it was about a reference design. Then with Pixel, it became, no, we are really into the hardware and we want to do the hardware. Um, and I think now it's become hardware per services plus another hardware. So, you know, that ecosystem of devices, uh, whether they do it under their own brand or they, so Pixel or, you know, they continue to use the Nest brand, they will continue to use the Fitbit brand. Um, you know, that makes it easier to then add Samsung for some things, but I doubt that they'll give up Pixel quite yet. Um, I, I think, you know, the comment I made earlier about services and certain and, and um, content and the difficulty of doing it, you know, across markets, is the same comment comment I can make about hardware, you know, so Samsung knows very well how to sell in all the markets that they sell. Google is not quite there yet with Pixel, you know, they they still only have some pockets, they're not, you know, in the same, in the same league as as, uh, Samsung. So being tactful um, and and, uh, strategic about which markets to focus on, I think is the other part when you're looking at at Pixel. I also think the market has changed a lot from when you know the whole pixel started because we don't have um, you know if you look at the U.S. market, it used to be that Samsung and and uh, Apple were leading because they were leading, right? Now it's like well because there's really no one else other than right. you know, OnePlus and TCL from from a volume perspective, maybe a little bit of Motorola. That's left, um, but you know, LG's is is out now, and so you know, even from a from a um, geographical perspective, when you're looking at worldwide, 
uh, is really Samsung as a non-Chinese brand that is holding up kind of the, the Android ecosystem and then everybody else um, pretty much is, you know, Taiwanese or Chinese. Uh, and that has implications on where you're going to see products and, and how diverse your ecosystem is going to be. And so I think that, you know, Google has to make sure that, that Samsung is not the only options that they have. Yeah, you said that so well because you're right. Where even in, I guess it's probably a matter of five years or so, it, it has the handset uh, market really went from being fragmented. And you did have Apple and Samsung leading. Um, but I remember, you know, HTC, LG, all these different brands, they're nowhere to be seen anymore, other than, you know, some of these upstart uh, big Chinese brands that, that are definitely huge globally. Um, it does seem like you said, you know, Google has this huge imperative to play nice with Samsung because it really is the, it's the dominant, you know, provider of Android. Um, and so it, it seems to me that, again, those two, it will be very interesting, in my opinion, to see where things go. Um, because like you mentioned, yes, Google with its Pixel hardware, they've done a decent job, but it's nowhere near the size of, of Samsung or Apple in terms of unit volume. And so it, it just, again, I come back to this of Samsung is almost like the, it's the uh, embodiment of Android in, in hardware form. Absolutely. And, so, and yeah. so I just think of, you know, if as we sort of move and we see uh, Google move into their own peripheral plays, um, you know, I think of it with even the, you know, earworn devices, um, Pixel Buds have failed to take off. And I know Galaxy Buds have done quite well. And a lot, that, yeah. a, a lot of that, a lot of that is because of the fact that Google is, or I'm sorry, Samsung is able to package uh, their headphones with their handset device. And there's a lot to be said about that. I mean, you can, you can grow. I, I think they went from zero to 10% of the market or something to that effect um, through, you know, the introduction of the Galaxy 9 or something like that with the first generation of Galaxy Buds. So it's a very effective strategy in terms of proliferating devices. Yeah, and they, they obviously acquire Harman. And so there's there's a lot there um, that they acquire from a, from a, a patent perspective and, and just... Um, knowledge around sound uh, and uh, so with with AKG uh, in there. So I, I think that um, you know Samsung has, has done great improvements on the Galaxy Buds over the years. And and uh, again, I, I'm a, I'm expecting that with the next version we'll see a deeper integration of uh, Google Assistant versus Bixby, um, and that will will help. And and on the buds, I have to say on the Pixel Buds. Um, I was quite impressed with the second uh, yeah. iteration. Um, it was a great improvement. And obviously, like I said, if you are uh, using Google Assistant quite often in throughout your day, um, it's such a, a sweet implementation. But the, you know, the reality is that on the Android side, um, there are a lot of there, there are way more earbuds that support, you know, natively Google Assistant than uh, than you know smart. Uh, watches and smart bands offering. So I think the buds are less of a of a critical part for Google um, than uh, um, than necessarily the watch, right? And so it'd be interesting to see where um, they prioritize. I would still argue that there are certain things like the the live translation 
um, service that they demoed on stage, like I think three years ago, mm-hmm. um, is very compelling. But you know, because everything is is open, and I don't think that hardware manufacturers, from a from a um, earbowl perspective, think about uh, you know anything but selling the you know the head the the right. buds right it's just the hardware sale there's no you know if you're thinking about jabra if you're thinking about uh plantronics now poly or if you're thinking about um you know uh, god uh, all the the even bows you know there's mm-hmm. no there's no intentionality from a from an ecosystem perspective of wanting right. to compete with google assistant yeah, I, I fully agree. I think um, Google Assistant is, I think, I think that Google has a few crown jewels, but um, the one that I think is like the most intriguing as to, you know, especially in terms of how it really can be compelling relative against Apple. I think that's one of the biggest gaps they actually have is that I think Google Assistant is far superior to Siri um, in, in terms of its sheer capabilities. I mean, Siri does a, a decent job with um, its ability when it comes to native Apple services and some of the different ways in which you can control different Apple devices and, and things like that. But Google Assistant really seems to be an area that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Google really makes that sort of the, the the big sort of piece that they offer in terms of all, like you said, these third-party providers. And as that continues to expand, I, I just think that is an area, If again, we're talking about how does... Um, you know, Google appeal to maybe the people that have been long-time iPhone users in the same way that Apple is constantly trying to pick off Google users and bring them into into their ecosystem. I think Google, the, the one of their primary mechanisms will be Google Assistant. So I think that's going to be interesting to see here in the coming years as that continues to mature. Uh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, you mentioned AR, VR earlier, and I think that that's going to be the other part there yeah. uh, where we all see, you know, watches, smart, worn devices. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Aura Ring that I've been wearing now for, for a couple of years. Um, but but also earbuds, you know, how those become a component of, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, ambient computing, but it's going to be, I don't know what they're going to call it, if it's human computing or whatever, but it's, you know, it's what you wear and these devices playing together to give you an enhanced experience. And I think that's the other part that is probably um, on, you know, top of mind for for Google um, going forward is, you know, the role that all these devices play in an augmented reality or virtual reality world. Yeah, so I guess as we sort of come down to the the close here, um, I'm curious about your thoughts on, you know, you just mentioned AR and VR. It seems like, you know, we just saw with the Snap Summit yesterday that mm-hmm. they're they're introducing this. It seems like it's going to be a long sort of uh, road um, to where this really all starts to become materialized in the market and, and it sees serious adoption. But what's your thoughts on, um, you know, what Apple's going to be introducing? I mean, I'm curious to get your, your take on at this year's WWDC and, and just, I guess, in the, the short-term horizon of wearables in general, any single modality that you have, um, what's sort of your overall thinking here that, you know, whether we've already covered it today or um, something that we haven't talked on yet, I'm, I'm just curious to get your, your overall kind of like take on 
where this space is going now that we really are starting to see Google coming into its own with its own real compelling offering, it seems. Um, so you will have, it looks like maybe a little bit of a, another duopoly um, of these two. And, and I'm just curious to get your thoughts on, on the way this whole space might shake out over the next few years. Yeah, I, I think that from a wearable perspective, the, the two things that to me will matter most to consumers are going to be one, continue the kind of a fitness and, and health side of things and, and more actually switching from fitness to health. Um, and so really, you know, learning more uh, about your own body and, and how to, to stay healthy um, or to prevent um, you know, anything that even if it's just a flu, right, the idea that the, my, my ring can tell me if my body temperature has changed over the course of a week, um, you know, and, and not just because of COVID, but, you know, in general, you want to keep an eye on things like that and, you know, how well you sleep and, and, and all of it. So I think that the that part, health and how these are going to become more integrated with our insurance services, you know, corporations and, you know, tracking. Um, and I know when, when you start to say the word track, people freak out, but yeah. in, in a good thing, uh, in, a, in a good way, um, just monitoring. I don't know if it sounds any better than tracking, but anyway, <laughs> um, you know, j- just being more aware, right? Uh, increasing your awareness of what is good and what isn't for you from, from a health perspective. The other part that I think I'm interested in and I think is going to be a big uh, focus is that idea of um, ambient computing and, um, you know, really thinking about the data that you collect and the data that is then analyzed and how devices work together. Um, And I don't know where we're going to land with AR and VR. I'm not a great fan of VR just because... um, the experience to me is, uh, I don't know, I think it's a, it's a personal thing. There's a combination of, of, of points that I can, I can list. One, I'm very short-sighted. And so I think I work extra hard to, to focus uh, when I'm in VR. Second, I'm also a control freak. So not being able to, to know what's going on around me makes me right. uncomfortable. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I can do half an hour, 45 minutes, and then I'm exhausted. Um, yeah. But I have done a couple of experiences this year in, in all of gra- with holographic displays like HoloLens and then the ER where, you know, I attended events and, and did brainstorming meetings. And, and I have to say, I started to see, you know, an interest uh, of the future, how far away we are with things like that feeling natural for the majority of the population is the biggest question. And I don't think this is going to be like a two to three year. I think this is going to be a five to 10 year uh, window. But there's no doubt in my mind that, um, you know, the especially the audio piece is going to become much more important going forward. And I think about the ability also to augment reality in that way, right, in, with sound, where if I using certain earbuds, I have the ability to hear better, uh, or, you know, to uh, accent sound noises versus, versus others. You know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. And I, and I do think that sound is such an integral part of your overall experience with something that I I think we'll see more and more people really focusing on that. 
Wow. I could not agree more with you. I think those are great points. I love what you said about uh, both of them, but uh, the first one with preventative health could not agree more. I think that we're going to see, it really is going to be, I think, an evolution of it it started as a glorified pedometer that tracked your steps to, it's like what um, I remember this podcast that I listened to where Mark Andreessen was being interviewed and, um, you know, they asked, uh, it was Tyler Cowen and he asked him, you know, what, what, what are you expecting on the horizon? for wearables. And uh, he said two things. He said, like, I think audio is going to be titanically important. So to your point, I agree. I think that audio is going to be just huge. I I think we're at the beginning stages of it, which is kind of crazy because it's been around for a while, but we've seen so much momentum in this area. Um, New formats of content, you know, starting with podcasts and then audiobooks and now social audio. And it's, it's really an exciting space. But the other one that he said was, you know, the, the idea of your, your Apple watch or whatever, alerting you that you're about to have a stroke. And I can't, I can't get that thought out of my mind because to your point, we kind of did start to, this started to become a little bit validated in the market during COVID Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, obviously there's a lot of like clinical trials that would need to be done, but even sort of anecdotally, you saw people citing, I had, you know, my heart rate, variability went, you know, up and then lo and behold, I tested positive a day later. So you're literally getting people that are um, showing their, before their symptoms are appearing, their smartwatch. And I think this is the beginning of it is being able to detect that. And so I think that talk about a really killer compelling use cases when you, when you have the ability to be notified that you're getting sick, that you have a chronic illness, that, you know, any number of these things where you really do have that. That's why Apple continues to tout the watch as a guardian of health. And and you had Tim Cook go on CNBC like two years ago and they asked him point blank, like what's going to be Apple's, you know, contribution. And he said health. And it's like, wow, okay, this is really interesting. So I agree with you. I think that Wearables are, um, I think, going to be very much a uh, a health a health device, really. And to your point, there's going to be some very interesting things that come out of this around, like what does that mean from a, from a health insurance standpoint? Um, you know, the, all of the concerns around data tracking and, and yeah. monitoring, that's going to open a huge can of worms. And so. Um, there's a lot of really exciting upside. And I think that there's going to be a lot of ethical discussions that come along with this too. Absolutely. So it's, and uh, legal too, right? Legal too, I, yeah. I think that there's there's definitely going to be more of that from an insurance perspective or a regulation perspective um, will need to be, to be done. Yeah. And so point being is that um, I, I do think, you know, I, as, a, as a tech analyst that's um, been, you know, through some of these different S curves and, and all kinds of different <laughs> adoption cycles. Um, what do you think? Is it pretty exciting times right now? What do you, what's your overall sense of the market and tech in general right now? It, it is exciting. I mean, I mean, if, um, you know, if you follow Google IO this week, some of the technology that they showed from, uh, from language, um, you know, and AI to uh, cameras and, and being able to use cameras to detect um, you know, skin cancer and, and abnormalities with your skin uh, to quantum computing. There is so much potential, but there's so much risk as well. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, and definitely I think we are at a point where tech has to gain that trust back from consumers because, 
um, the stakes are too high going yeah. forward. And so I need to trust that what I see uh, and I can I can validate in some way or another today is ethical before I can trust, you know, AI uh, engines that I can even understand, right? And, and I think that's why some of the work that I, I do with organizations around bias and uh, explainability and transparency and, you know, and, and, and um, um, you know, all the work about social corporate justice, not just responsibility, mm-hmm. uh, are going to become even more important. I couldn't agree more. And I love what you said too, like the stakes are getting higher, that the opportunity is as big as it's ever been. Um, and the and the upside is there, but I could not agree with you more that tech has to really have its sort of come to Jesus moment where it really does <laughs> recognize like there's a broke, there's kind of a fundamental break in the trust and, and you can't just operate off the assumption that people will choose to use your services because they have no other option. And uh, I love that all your work that you're doing around, you know, um, you know, the heart of tech and, and making it more of a humane element to this, you know, cause that's what this is about. It, uh, absolutely. It, it is there. There's no, I mean, what is tech without heart, right? <laughs> right. I love that. Well, Carolina, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a wonderful discussion. Thanks for everybody who tuned in here to the end and we will chat with you next time. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.